Welcome to the Outrider Podcast. I'm Jason Quinn Malott. Thanks for listening. Uh, Before I tell you a little bit about today's guest, uh, let me get some news out for you on the show here. As you know, we just finished up the seven-part series, Problematic Toxic Masculinity Tropes. And for a while, we're going to be a little silent as we, uh, as well, as I uh, get some work done on, on a novel and a few other projects. And also, you know, get some, uh, some people lined up for some live shows this summer. We'll be doing those again. And of course, planning and, and laying out our, any short series for the, uh, for the fall. So there's a lot going on. We're going to be uh, quiet for a while. So go back and check out our archives, particularly the uh, problematic badass female tropes and the series on Ulysses, which is a lot of fun. Me and my friend Delia, another grad school associate. Another thing you could do is also go and check out a, uh, a long lost um, companion podcast, I guess you could call, called The Terror Test. I'll put a, a link in the, uh, in the bio to Evan's show here. These were guys I was involved with with a uh, project called Unoya Solstice, which vanished a while ago, but they're still going strong with their horror show podcast, so check them out. They're a lot of fun, these guys. So, Evan Hundhausen. Evan was actually the very first guy I met when I, uh, when I rolled off to graduate school. To be honest, I always thought Evan. <laughs> I always thought Evan was a little dissatisfied with me, but maybe that was just uh, his personality. He's very much a uh, just get out there and do it, and you'll hear a little bit about that in our conversation um, in the show. He just will uh, will dive in feet first with a lot of things, not even too terribly sure what's in the water he's diving into. And anyway, that makes him pretty cool, I think. He's a writer, a DJ. You can uh, check him out. There's links to his website and stuff in the show notes. So go give him a little holler. Check out his book. We talk about that a little bit. It's uh, um, Advanced Learning Techniques for a Budding Sociopath. So you can find that out there on Amazon. And so let's, let's get to the conversation with Evan. Hello, sir. Hey, cool, man. Oh, look, Evolution of Shadows back there. Yeah. That's awesome. Where'd you make that? Uh, the publisher made it. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's a good idea. Way back in the day, so I got to keep it. So how's your day going? What's up? Nothing. Nothing? Chilling. <laughs> this, has been a, this has been a long time coming, getting you on the show here. I know. Which has partly been my fault, a slow reader and all that good stuff, and making sure I was up to date on, on what you've been working on. Yeah, I've been working lately. On, on... I'm working on a lot of short pieces. So Yeah? And it's been a lot of fun. I got published recently in a comic book and a I, s- I saw a something looking like a check there. What was that all about? That was a Tulip Tree Review. It's a Colorado publication. Uh-huh. So I got to be a finalist and then I got to be a contributor. Nice. So I was like stoked because, you know, that's like huge recognition that I have not had in a long time. Right, right, exactly. So I was really excited. And I got paid 50 bucks. So there you go. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you know, getting paid something, man. I mean, good grief. I'm not not very many writers get paid for anything these days. Have you tried Submittable at all, Jason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pretty much uh, a, a lot of the magazines are going to something like Submittable or, or some of the other uh, online submission platforms if they don't have their own, you know, proprietary one. I kind of like it now because um, everything's advertised in front of you on the computer at Submittable. Yeah. So that you can just submit like crazy. They do want you to pay like a fee lots of times, but yeah, some I'm of down. The as long as it's not too, you know, extravagant, something like that. Yeah. But it's a great, like, it's, you can organize it because you see, like, who is, like, how you get rejected, like, who declined <laughs> you. Right. Yeah. And so it's great to be that organized, you know. Yeah. You should try it. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've used it for a lot of things. I've, it's, uh, Have you? It's one, of the, uh, it's one of the few places where I actually, uh, you know, I'm able to to see somebody reject my my query letters. Most of the time these days, when you send out you know via email to uh, to people, their rejections are just they ignore the fuck out of you until you just give up. Yeah, I definitely got used to that. Yeah, throughout the years, which I find a little little ridiculous. You know, I mean, if you're if you're if you're submitting and you're following the rules. If you're following their submission guidelines, and particularly if you've had previous publications, which means you've been through the hoop jumping and you know yeah. how to be a professional, do the professional thing, agents, and at least send a form rejection. You know, if, if we have, if we've established ourselves as, as having been professional, we deserve at least that courtesy because, and because of the fact we've shown ourselves to be professionals, they can trust that we're not going to write back with, I think you're an asshole, you know. <laughs> for not they can't accepting trust me. That. Yeah, I mean they can't trust it with a lot of people. I mean <laughs> seriously, there's a whole there's a whole um there's a whole Twitter feed about agents of agents complaining about, you know, you know, bad query letters and responses to rejections and things like mm, that. So I can see why funny. they're a bit skittish, but you know, if you've taken the time to read the query letter at least and decide from that that it's not, you know, the writer isn't someone you want to work with, You've read the bio. You kind of know whether or not they've actually done anything. And if they have a, a professional track record, give them a professional response. That's just kind of my... Yeah. My sales experience taught me to be scattershot. <laughs> so, like, it's it's more about quantity than quality with right. me most of the time. So I've got this, like, hard skin for rejection when it comes to writing right but you know i don't know i don't know i don't know what the answer is to yeah. all that but but I, i'm always professional i don't say anything <laughs> to anybody in in the industry yeah because I met, I met people who have opinions and they'll spout them and it's like you're gonna get blacklisted you know if you're submitting to hollywood <laughs> people they're gonna know who you are and you're gonna get on a list and they're not gonna talk to you ever right right so I don't do that as a as a rule for myself. Right. But I hate like guidelines and rules. Like I hate them. <laughs> oh, like the when submissions they, when the publication has them. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I just think it's weird because <laughs> it's like when we were in grad school, we learned how to do it properly, and then they have new rules now because they can. Yeah. Like do it this way, and it's like maybe I don't want to submit to you. You know. <laughs> Just maybe. Well, let's let's talk a bit about some of your background, just for the sake of those people listening. 
you know, we've known each other for what now? 20, 21 years, something like that? Yeah, it's been too long. We've known each other so long. <laughs> so you were born and raised in New Jersey, right? I was born in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn. I lived in New York until I was 13 or 14. Then I went to high school in New Jersey. We moved. But New Jersey is so central. that Philadelphia and New York and everything. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's not that much different. You can take the train in New York. Whereabouts in in Jersey did you live? It was central, so it was uh, it's called Metuchen. It's called uh, Edison Metuchen, Middlesex County. Okay, okay. It's all in the middle. See, it's all central. Yeah, yeah. How <laughs> far away is that from uh, from Jersey City? Because that's really all I. Jersey City. That's yeah. like right on the cusp of venturing into manhattan right right yeah that's where my sister so that's like across the river yep or maybe under a tunnel maybe it's not across the river i don't remember okay i've been in boulder for as long as you and i have been friends so (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a city guy lately no 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 so where was it that you did remind me where it was that you did your uh, your undergrad it was a small suitcase school called catawba in North Carolina, in between Greensboro and Charlotte. So it was a small rural town. Right. What drew you down a, there? Oh, they gave me a $2,000 scholarship. Oh, nice. A year. So, and it got away from my parents. I was like, let me get as far away as I can <laughs> from my parents. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, I had no other reason to go to college than to be a poet. Right. Uh, open mic poet. That's how clueless I was. Because I would, uh, in high school, I'd go to New Brunswick, Rutgers area, uh-huh. meet my friends. And we would watch an open mic poet, these college kids. So I knew what I wanted to do when I go to college is be an open mic poet. So I was literally that that clueless. Like, I had no <laughs> desire. I, I did want to be a radio DJ, so I started out in communications, and I quickly changed to English. Right. And then an English teacher said, you know, you can study writing in grad school. And if she hadn't told me that, I wouldn't even known. <laughs> so she she literally like called me in her office and said, you can study writing in grad school. Right. So I was like, perfect. So and then, you know, all my friends and I were studying Jack Kerouac. Right. So we looked up Naropa. So I always knew Naropa existed. Mm-hmm. So I went that route and I said, I'm going. And I, it just happened, you know. Because I applied to a bunch of grad schools and got rejected in poetry. And then I decided I wanted to learn short stories. And I was working a temp job and I was just like bored. Right. I was like, I got to apply to Naropa. Why haven't I applied to Naropa? I know it exists. <laughs> so I did. And it was like magic. And I got in. Had you been writing? And, and what did you were you reading before you, uh, you stumbled across the open mic poetry readings and decided that was what you wanted to do? Well, I went to... Uh, I mean, I was always, I would say for the most part, I was in private schools. So in the fourth grade, I mean, they said, okay, everybody write a short story. Right. And that was my first private school. I showed up at it in the fourth grade. <laughs> so, I mean, and it, if I wasn't doing that, my parents were encouraging me to write anyway. Mm-hmm. But that was huge going to private school because they, they're all about the creative and right. well, at least where I went, it was about dramatics and theater and so I was writing plays at a young age, uh-huh. and I went to school with Sarah Paulson in the seventh and eighth grade. So I was taking improv classes with Sarah Paulson. <laughs> Do you know who she is? I know the name. It sounds familiar. It's really yeah. big now. She was in a Tom Hanks movie. 
Yeah, yeah. So I literally like went to school with like actors and stuff in Brooklyn. So, and so I was always, huh. they always told me I was a good writer. Like I won an award in sixth grade. <laughs> right on. I was always almost, winning an award somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Sixth grade. That's kind of when it starts. That was when uh, I had a, you know, I'd been farting around with the, uh, you know, being a pathological liar and storyteller before the sixth grade. And then oh really one of my, uh, my sixth grade teacher started giving us worksheets on, on short stories on, on, so you'd have like a section of a story and you could write the beginning up to that point or the end after the point, or, you know, that <laughs> was something like that. And, uh, and it turned into this competition between me and this kid named Lars Ellingson. Cause nice. we were always, uh, writing the stories that, you know, the teacher would, uh, read to the class. And so whoever got to have their story read to the class, that was, you know, the, the, uh, uh the, the victory we were shooting for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> should you be name dropping? Yeah. If you want to name you know, drop, name drop. Should you be name dropping Lars like that? It'll, it'll come back to haunt you, won't it? I don't know. I don't, I have no idea what the hell happened to that guy. You know, uh, are you going to make an introduction? Your introductions are pretty good, but yeah, we'll do, we'll do a little something at the, at the beginning of that. But I yeah. think that's like really good what you're doing with the intros. <laughs> like, it's very well, snappy live cool thanks man a lot of this yeah, stuff has good. gotten a lot better since i've had uh heather being the uh, my producer doing all the uh, the audio fixing and all that other stuff so i just have to worry about making sure i do a clean recording and <laughs> that's cool yeah so here's the got a question for you yeah growing up in private school in brooklyn and new york and new jersey and then you go to undergrad in north carolina <laughs> what, what what was their culture shock? I mean, the only culture shock it was the Bible Belt, right? But you know, I grew up Catholic and I went to CYO group, so initially I was like down with the Bible people until they <laughs> said, "Hey, you know, gay people don't don't go to heaven." Then I realized, man, I'm not going to hang out with these people. So I hung right. out with uh, all the creative people at the school. I did have lots of. Um, um, gay friends too. Right. And, um, Matthew Shepard actually went to Catawba too. Do you remember him? Yeah. Yeah. He was pistol whipped and, uh, killed. Yeah. In Montana. Right. Yeah. And yeah. like, so like I went to school with all these people that were, that people know about, right. uh, he was only there for like a year, but mm -hmm. you know, I got to know him. It's just bizarre. Cause when I, I arrived, didn't know that. that's crazy. Man. It's, it is crazy. And, um, I mean, that's a national thing. That right. was so huge. That was so terrible and huge. And it was in all the magazines. It was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That was a catalyzing moment for, uh, for, for, for gay rights and equality. That was something else. Before grad school, I wanted to write about all this. But then I realized that I don't, I don't, I don't like writing about nonfiction and serious things. I don't like it. So I, <laughs> that's why I'm a fiction writer. Yeah, because well, I, I just don't like it. I just had enough experiences with audiences reacting to me that I was like, I know what I like to do and I'm going to do that. Right. So I kind of it doesn't interest me to like write about these these things I'm telling you. Yeah. Necessarily. You know the, what I mean? The biography. Yeah. Yeah. But some people, you know, they think it's so important. And I think it's just weird how life is all these things happen <laughs> that's why it's so that's why life's so interesting so i want to write you know use your imagination and write something you know so how long was it after you um you finished at catawba and, and ended up at naropa what was the gap a year or two oh yeah i was working temp jobs 
And, you know, I was like, right. I just was, I've always had depression problems. So I wasn't like right in the head. And I was like, yeah, I got to go to grad school, man. Cause, uh, I foresaw the world trade center bombing. I literally right. did. I was like, I could get out of here. The first one or, or yeah, the first one. Cause <laughs> no, we were both I, in Colorado I, I, for nine 11. So I looked at the skyline once as I was driving through New Jersey and I was like, yeah, that could totally happen. And I was like, <laughs> I got to get out of here. So was, I moved to Colorado. Right, right. And it did happen. Isn't that bizarre? That that's is. how weird my brain was. My imagination was so wild. Mm-hmm. I was younger and it was uh, unfiltered. Right. As you knew me during that time. So you knew how it was. So like it caused me a lot of depression problems. So I had to work on that as I got sure. older. Sure. You know, but otherwise it was great for writing. Yeah. So what are are you then closer to Laura Holly's age or you know for tw- I've known you for 20 some years and I I have no fucking clue how old you are. I'm 44. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so you're 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 closer to Laura than than to me, so that's all. <laughs> yeah, I, I I You should be submitting this to Naropa alumni. <laughs> oh, the, oh, they know about it. I mean, we could, we could, doing that. we could name drop some stuff and, you know, I've, I've off mic after we get done recording, I'll have a, we'll talk with you about uh, the situation I see up there. But anyway, so you've been reading a lot of Kerouac and that was kind of, and then you found out about Naropa. What, who, so aside from Kerouac, who were some of the other writers that, uh, that got you moving, man, that got that, that, tapped into you and, yeah. and fed you what who were those guys well in high school i was in a i used to be in the advanced uh english class and then uh-huh. i like got a d so then i <laughs> in the senior year I, I went into uh the regular english class uh-huh. so the teacher this is all boys high school and the teacher would you know put some books in front of you like james joyce was one of them right and I, I was reading that, and James Joyce went to an all-boys high school himself, and he was, like, depressed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's me. I'm like James <laughs> Joyce. I'm depressed in all-boys high school. So that that was a – and also in that advanced English class I had in high school, we submitted poems. So mm-hmm. I got – I was like, yeah, this is going to happen. Right. But nothing happened during that time. It was basically until after college is when I got published as a poet and I had all these cool things happen. Right, right. But, I, you know, there was things happening where I knew, like, what I wanted to do, maybe more so than lots of other people. Right. But it was an, as an artist, so you feel isolated and, like, nobody understands you, even though you know exactly what you want to do. Right, right, right. But so, uh, Joyce and Fight Club was a big one. Oh, yeah? That was... That, that was... That yeah. was a moment, wasn't it? For a that lot of people. was a huge moment. Again, like... You got to see how like pop culture influences everything with mm-hmm. that movie. Right. There was a, a kid who actually like, you know how they made a happy face on the building in the movie Fight Club with uh-huh. bombs? Right. Um, There's actually during, it might've been during when we were in grad school during that time, some young man went around the country and was uh, bombing random mailboxes and nobody knew why. But when they put it on a map, he was making a happy face in the I... middle of the country. Seriously? So, what? Yeah. How did I miss that? I don't, I, I don't know. It was something I, I caught. It was in the news. <laughs> but he didn't finish the happy face because he got caught and went to jail. Right. And then, of course, the World Trade Center could be uh, attributed to every mm. – almost all sorts of stories. 
but you see how pop culture like influences everything. So that's oh, like yeah, yeah. insane to see how influential we as writers are. And why would we ever would we ever admit that um, we're responsible for anything? <laughs> if we're just writing stories and alone in our house, you know. Yeah, we're harmless, you know. Yeah, well, well, not really. I mean, you'd have you have uh, uh, what was his name, McDonald, who wrote uh, the Turner Diaries, that uh, that white supremacist, racist, you know, um, book. You said you'd read that. I have not. Yeah, no, it's it's not worth the effort. I mean, it's. <laughs> Where'd you find that book? Oh, it's 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 been cited several times. Timothy McVeigh, oh who God. bombed the uh, the the ah, federal building okay. in, in okay. Oklahoma, that was he had um, sections of that book cut out. That was like his inspiration for doing the bombing. Was the that novel? There oh was um, in the in the early eighties. There was a group called the Order, which uh, um, they killed uh, this Jewish DJ in Denver. Eric Bogosian made a movie about it. Oh my! I haven't um, seen that either. But uh, I think it was him. But anyways, yeah, so there was some Jewish DJ that was killed by this, uh, this white supremacist group. And their inspiration for, for even naming themselves was from uh, that book, The Turner Diaries. Yeah, there's, I mean, writers can do a whole shit ton of harm. Well, a with, racist writer? That's ridiculous. Racist writers, Anne Rand is, is doing a whole, I mean, she's been dead for 30 years, and she's doing a tremendous amount of harm with those fucking books. <laughs> <laughs> The objectivists? Um, oh, yeah, Paul Ryan, all the weird batshit Republicans that are, yeah. There's a fine line we got to walk, man. Well, it's, you know, you've just got to be moral. That line is fine. <laughs> it's like a tightrope when yeah. we walk as an artist and a writer. Yeah, you just got to be moral, man, you know. You know, sometimes, you know, I, you just have to be smart. Like, people aren't smart. No, that's true. You and I are smart, but... Other people aren't. <laughs> I don't know how smart I am typing. sometimes. Uh, you know, I, uh, I have $74,000 worth of student loan debt and a uh, day job. That's I don't not, like, so. That has nothing to do with your intelligence. Yeah. You're intelligent just to go to school, Jason. Well, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Got so, Joyce and Kerouac, who else, man? <laughs> I'm curious as to who... Joyce who, and Kerouac and William Burroughs and... I did a presentation in college on Allen Ginsberg. I studied right on. what he was about. And, um, I mean, those are my favorites, the beats. And, of course, Henry Miller fell into that. Right, right. And uh, I even read um, the uh, Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese movie. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a real book. I, I like. There's a bookstore in uh, Salisbury, North Carolina. I went to college. And they had all these old books, and I p picked up Taxi Driver, and I read the whole thing. And it was just like, wow, this was a book before it was ever Martin Scorsese movie. How was the book compared to the movie? Well, I'm sure it's um, – I don't remember it because I don't have a copy. Right. But it's possible it was first person. So hmm. that first person really affected me a lot. I was like, I have to be like Jack Kerouac and – Chuck Powell knock a fight club and, right. and write in first person. So that's probably why it was a movie if it was in first person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It seems like first person relates better than anything else to movies. Like The Great Gatsby is a, a big time book I have a copy of. And um, that's just a formula for how a movie works, The Great Gatsby. Hmm. 
because they start with the ending and go back and come around again to where they're at. So a lot of that influenced me because it was like movies, books. So I kind of have a a love of dialogue. Right, right. More the more the uh, mimetic speech than the uh, the narrative distance, huh? Well, yeah. Like I, I used to write in third person when I when I started out, and then I would change the person. Yeah. Later in later years, a lot of stuff like even my short story collection on Amazon. I mean, I wrote those stories so long ago, and one of them even won an award in college. And then I like rewrote it years later. I got the story you published in, in your. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Your myth- no fuglies mythology for, uh, for Fritz project. Kramer. Yeah, you published me first. You did that without even asking me. That was hilarious. <laughs> you just sent me a copy of uh, what you put together. Well, you sent you me the that? story. I sent you the story, and then you, next thing I know, it was published in your thing. And you didn't even <laughs> you didn't even say, "Hey, I'm going to do this." That um, was funny. Sorry about that. I oh, that's fine. I thought we were, uh, yeah, I'd asked you for it. You sent it. I was, <laughs> thought we were good to go. You know, I didn't know. Hey, we... man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I asked you for a story. You sent me a story. I published it. What's what's the problem, Evan? <laughs> no problem. My first published short story was by you. I was trying to do something, you know, I wanted, I know, I know. I mean, it's just following the, uh, the, uh, um, the advice that we got in graduate school, you know, nobody's going to give you a break just because you're you, you've got to go out and make your own, you know, thing. Yeah. Experience taught me that for sure. And yeah, so I just did the journal and, and started up the podcast and still trying to do a whole bunch of stuff because, you know, I don't know, man, you know, I, I really bought into the uh, aesthetic at, at Naropa, which was, you know, be engaged with the community, do stuff, you know, where you're at to make, uh, you know, wherever you are, the place you want to be. What's the name of the bookstore you hang out at in, in uh, Kansas? Uh, Watermark Books. That's my, uh, that's, that's my uh, usual hangout. Yeah, that's cool. They've, they've been opening up a couple of other new bookstores. There's all... Watermark and then Eighth Day Books was always around, but uh, they're kind of got a religious bent. And there's a, a new place that just opened up uh, called Strange Tides, and the uh, the woman that opens it opened it up is is uh, her shtick for this is is uh, writing workshops, and she apparently knows she apparently co-wrote a a short film that got played at the Tallgrass Film Festival here in Wichita and has some connections and other places like that. So she's inviting all of these outside writers to come in and teach workshops at her uh, new bookstore that just opened back in December. So we'll see how that, that? huh? You're going to do that. Well, I don't think she knows a lot of the local writers and the ones that she does know, if she knows any, I don't know. It's just, it's. Are you going to get paid for that? I don't know. I don't know if she's paying these people or if it's a volunteer thing. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I I walked into the store um, back in December, and I could have sworn I'd seen this woman around before. We talked a little bit. She's been in town for a few years, so. That's cool. I like all that. I've been having a good time where I live, uh, yeah. learning consignment. There's there's a thing in self-publishing. If you don't do Ingram Spark and you just mm-hmm. do Amazon, you're stuck with consignment because they could technically order it from Ingram Spark without you doing anything, the bookstore. Yep. So I'm stuck with consignment right now. 
Yeah, no. And plus Amazon has, so this is something I want to talk to you about because we've, we kind of had a, a go around at one point about this, you know, where I was complaining about agents or something like that. And you, uh, <laughs> you and I had a little throwdown on online about, uh, self-publishing. <laughs> we did. What year was that? It was probably 20 years ago. <laughs> no, I think it probably might've been about 10 years ago. It was, it, oh, was, yeah. <laughs> it was somewhere in between. It was somewhere in between, um, when the book, when my book was published and, and when I was struggling to, when I, well, I'm still struggling to get the next one out there, you know, and you know, that's, this is, Sometimes, Evan, I, I I worry that you are involved with multi-level marketing schemes. <laughs> are you involved with multi-level marketing schemes? No. Okay. Well, no. I'm. I I take advantage of things that um, pique my interest. There was a time when I was just looking at all sorts of things that maybe weren't ideal for me. Right. But I've learned so many things about sales that I have no qualms. Just like. Just like you were saying before, like, how do you get something off the ground? You just do it. Right. So if you see me promoting something, it's it's not because it's because um, I'm out to like an MLL <laughs> be a jerk. It's because a jerky salesman. It's because I'm, I actually research things. Right. You know, right now I'm studying uh, crypto for no reason at all. Right. But I know, I mean, there's YouTube videos that, that will tell you what's happening with Bitcoin. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And you can find good sources. You can find it about almost anything you want. It's surprising how much financial stuff is on YouTube right now. Right. You could watch CNBC for free, Bloomberg for free. It's surprising because that's like huge. Mm -hmm. If you're, um, and of course, self-publishing, you can watch that all day long too. I mean, it's it, they say it's like a university YouTube, but I've learned a, a different view. Like you're smart to have a producer. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's, it's smart to hire someone to help you when you run a business. Right, right. And that's something I have to learn. So if you see me promoting everything, it's because I don't have anybody helping me. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Because I'm just like bored right. and I'm like, I got to do something. Because I don't want to work a regular job. What the, f why would I want to do that? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I understand, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I have a regular job right now, you know. But uh, I'd rather be doing something awesome. That's fun and true, exciting. True, true. You but you, I mean? uh, you, um, I don't mean to call you out on this one, but you managed <laughs> to get through, uh, through graduate school without the student loan debt that the rest of us did, right? <laughs> yeah. My okay. parents paid for that, buddy. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You know, you had that, you had that opportunity. Um, you know, yeah, so you can, you can, you can wander around and, and play. <laughs> um, I suppose I could too, if that's I was not willing to true. go You got to watch some, uh. I'll, I'll send you some videos <laughs> on how to um, be more positive, Mr. Malat. Yeah, I know. That's what you everybody can start tells practicing me. that. Yeah. No, there, there's, um, so, like okay. they say, there's two sides of every story. Right. So, like, it's not just one way. There's a time when I, th I thought that and I realized I was mistaken. So I, I, I um, invested heavily in, like, therapy. <laughs> I've been to therapy for as long as you know known me almost well, i've been in like, therapy too since i was young but but yeah like there's there's more ways to do something than we we could ever know and like you gotta be open to it 
Right, right, right. I wish there was, you know, a, a direct answer. This path you follow and success comes. Right. It doesn't seem to be that way. It seems to be a windy path. You know, I mean, there was there was a time when I was younger where um, I was very adamantly opposed to self-publishing in general as, <laughs> as a principle, right? You know, as I've been reading a lot of other stuff, um, if you have a chance, just for shits and giggles. There's an interesting book out by Jane Friedman called The Business of Being a Writer. Nice. And of course, there's some other stuff that I've been reading and and I've softened my stance on, on self-publishing a lot. And I still think that it's not right for me because I don't have a background in sales. I don't, I don't like marketing. Yeah. You know, and I don't, and of course, having a, a full-time job in writing, I don't want to have to, the idea of, of, of writing something, self-publishing it, and then having to learn to be a good marketer and salesman on top of that, to me, that's time that I don't have and not mm-hmm. interested in it. And it's I, true. If somebody has the time, has the ability, the way the publishing industry right now is, is that it if you have the ability, the skill, the desire to do all of the things that a publisher does on top of being a writer, it might be a really good idea to self-publish for some people, depending on you know what they're writing, who they're who they're trying to hit for their audience and stuff like that. So I'm kind of curious as to what was your thought process behind deciding to uh, to take. Because No Fuglies for Fritz Kramer isn't the only previously published story that's in your collection, Accelerated Learning Techniques for a Budding Sociopath. <laughs> um, it's not? What else is published in there? Let's see. I don't even know, buddy. Champagne was um, your short screenplay, was a semifinalist for Moon yeah, Dance. That was exciting. Um, yeah, that was cool. I mean, I really don't have a lot of publications, so... That's why I was excited about what recently happened because I want to be able to tell people I was in a journal. Right. <laughs> and uh, be cool. Because, like, there's something about telling someone who works at a college, like, I'm in this journal review and they understand what that means. Right, right. There's a prestige you know? quality to that. Yeah. And that, you know, that's what I grew up with, watching people do that. What was the thought process? Why did you. Um just go with the self-publishing rather than the, the traditional route. Well, one, one, you know, I think you, you just have to accept like the money isn't going to be there that you wish for. And so you're going to have to attack it anyway. And uh, you're going to have to have, you know, you, you're going to make it fun. Right. And uh, if you can make it fun, you're not, it's not a pain in the butt. Now I did do the internet thing for, I mean, I was I was doing internet consistently for at least the past five six years, mm-hmm. and then I decided like, how come I don't? Am I scared to like just go down to the local bookstore? Am I scared to do that? Because I saw other people doing it, and I was like, well, if that guy's doing it, why? How come I'm not doing it? And it's just to, you take the action, and then you learn that there's nothing to be uh, concerned about because they'll gladly the book buyer will gladly talk to you, mm-hmm. and if you have things going on, guess what? They want to talk to you more. Right, right. If you have more than one publication. But you'd be surprised. So, um, and like I even got in the Boulder Library mm-hmm. interested because I did this like, you could find every library in the country online. So I kind of concentrated on Colorado 
And literally, I learned, check this out, Jason, because there's a learning process when you take these actions. Mm-hmm. So like the one of the libraries in Colorado Springs is like, oh, we can't buy your book unless you have like a review somewhere, like in Publishers Weekly, Kirkus Reviews. Now, Kirkus Reviews, you pay for reviews. So everybody right. thinks it's scammy, but everybody knows what it is. So it's not scammy. It's actually really good. And um, so next time I publish a book, I'm going to submit it to review places three months before I put it out. And I, I only know that because I marketed. <laughs> if I hadn't marketed my book, I would never learn that. Right. And I was like, how interesting. That's so valuable. So that's part <laughs> of the journey is like you, you put yourself out there like, hi, I'm here. I'm bragging about my book. And then you learn something. Right. You're like, well, now I understand why I'm doing this. Right, right. Because I didn't understand before. But it's to learn things that are helpful for the next step. Had, had you ever... Um subscribed or read uh, like writer's digest or anything like that yeah hmm. um i mean i don't necessarily read that i like i, I like my laptop better right, but so I, I'm, I'm like a blog crazy person like there's a time when all i read was blogs and i would like literally if i could find one thing that helped me i was like excited mm-hmm. so i basically taken this journey of doing this stuff on my own and researching on my own and it's it's been a nerd fest for me, you yeah. know. Sounds like <laughs> it sounds a bit like you're reinventing the wheel. Yeah, exactly. I guess that makes it fun for me. <laughs> but I literally don't like right. Jason. Jason, let me tell you this: um, I spend a lot of time at writers groups. Uh huh. People don't know what's going on. No, they don't. All. No, it's it's. And you know, it'd be nice if you could talk to someone else. It'd be really nice. But those people are too busy being successful to, to hang out with you. <laughs> depends on Unless the person. You pay them. Well, it depends on the person, you know. I mean, you know, when I when I was when I first decided that I was going to be a writer and I started talking about it endlessly, you know, ad nauseum, boring the shit out of people with it. I had a, a girlfriend in high school who went out and, and bought me copies of Writer's Digest at um at one of the bookstores in town. And I ended up getting a subscription to that for years. And would read it cover to cover. Nice, just it's very good. It taught me about the, how the industry works, how to write query letters, you know, where to yeah. find, you know, publisher listings, how to format a manuscript for submission. And I walked into my undergrad, you know, my first creative writing class up there, and you know, everybody around me seemed, you know, just yeah, they were taking you know, intro to creative writing was you know just the everybody who wants to take it, whatever, they're not majoring in English. They weren't like I was majoring in creative writing. And I don't know, that was, I kind of, I'm always surprised at these people out there with all of those resources, Yeah, you know, that don't even do what you did, which was just read endlessly on blogs. They just start writing and then they don't under, they don't know how to submit. They don't know how to format. They don't know how to, <laughs> to do anything. And they just, so let's just, they find out somebody's a writer and has been published and they just walk up and go, you know, here's my book. What do I do with it? It's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's why right. I asked if you'd read that because it seems like we both, you know, are coming to the same, you know, point of knowledge, but through different routes and, and the one unifying similarity is is this constant curiosity mm-hmm. and the willingness mm-hmm. to self-educate 
I would think that's it. You know, and so, yeah. So I'm curious what your experience has been because with this book and what you're going to change if you decide to self-publish the next one. What's going, what's the, uh, are you going to do Ingram Spark? Because I think. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm just not very educated on, uh, or maybe I'm lazy because I'm sure I could upload it Ingram Spark in the next week. <laughs> right. But someone told me like, if you make a mistake, it costs like a fee mm-hmm. every time you make a mistake. And I'm always making mistakes when I upload something always. <laughs> so that would be something I'd want to hire somebody to do. Right. Right. You know? Formatting and design and all that. Stuff, yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I had a friend who was helping me, but he's too busy now. Was that the guy in, in this one? And yeah. Who was that that helped you with that? David Stewart, he uh, has a site called Cull Seas and he makes mazes or draws mazes. Cool. But yeah, he had a baby, so he's busy with baby world. Baby stuff, right? Right. No, because <laughs> I've been I've been looking at at Ingram Spark in particular because one of the a lot of my my book industry knowledge also comes from, you know, working in an independent bookstore for three years and being the inventory oh, yeah? manager. So you know, one of the great things about Ingram Spark, at least the last time I looked at their website, is that if you self-publish through them, it gets you into the industry, and it and you can, you're able to present your book in in a way that makes it comparable to the industry standard. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. returnable. You know, standard discounts exactly. to publishers, and so it makes it easier for your self-published book to get into bookstores. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just really interested in in what well, you're. I'm- I, I, I'm not shy of uh, finding big distributors. Like, mm-hmm. what's the big one? What's the airport distributor? I forgot their name. But anyway, the, whoever's yeah, in the airport I everywhere, I, they have an indie store now. So I decided, well, I should, like, email them. But I would emailed them, the big distributor in the airport, and uh, they're like, we're not going to – we decided not to carry your book because they just didn't want to. So it's not it's not all it's like it's not like do this and things will be fine. It's like act locally, think globally. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get into local Barnes and Noble, by all means go in Ingram Spark, you know. But go anyway and talk to the community manager. Right. I need to do that. Like, you know, but it's it's a pain in the butt, like you said, you don't want to do all this. So like that's why you should probably do it locally and forget about the global right now. Mm-hmm. Forget about the national. And it's because if it's contained and it's a small area, you're going to learn what you need to learn to go further, aren't you? Right. I mean, it's just – it's all logic. And it takes a long time to get to this point where you can actually, like, accept that this is what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I used to go to uh, Miami in 2005, 2006 for the Winter Music Conference, which is for DJs. Right. And people – like, every famous DJ on the planet goes to Miami in March. And then all these people – that are young and want to be DJ or whatever, just flock there. And all it is is a big party, but there's people who have dreams and they want to be a DJ. Right. And you know, you got to realize why am I going to Miami? Probably to have fun, not to just become famous. Right. Get eaten by now. So it's, it's just, that's, that's what you learn as you experience life. And, uh, if you can afford it, by all means go to the conferences all over the world. Right. But otherwise, if if you don't have the money, why would you go broke doing that? I've gone broke doing that, <laughs> and I learned I learned a hard lesson of you know credit card debt and stupid stuff right, like right. that. Yep. So I, I kind of like had to go the roundabout route to find myself and center myself, 
and go, let's do what's smart and not what's stupid. Because you can still do this no matter what. No one's going to tell you you can't. It's it's hard. It's a hard lesson to learn, man. I don't think many people talk about it. I think people talk about take this step, this step, this step. All right, see you later. You know, but they don't talk about the growth aspect and how you're going to fail a lot. <laughs> and that's such a shame because right. it's, it's like that's all it is. <laughs> all it is is failure you and picking know? yourself back up. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I suppose on one hand, you know, if you don't talk about the uh, the failure, then you're <laughs> you're then you're then you're uh, you're you're ensuring that those people that don't have the intestinal fortitude to keep trying will eventually give up. <laughs> well, that's true. That's a good point, right? Whereas if you if you warn people about failure, they can they can do things to limit that to, uh, and they probably don't deserve to. It's like. <laughs> I, I wish someone had had kept the secret of of failure and perseverance away from dan brown you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah you don't like that guy i no and i don't like him i i wish someone had kept the idea of you know persevering through failure away from ann rand you know she should have <laughs> she should have given up early you know and and stopped but <laughs> What's your issue with Ayn Rand? I'm curious. Well, she's the she's that objectivist twat that that uh, <laughs> that Paul Ryan likes and and Rand Paul, <laughs> right? You know the the whole ethical self interest thing. You get rid of all regulation and and laws and government and and the rich and powerful will behave well because to behave badly would would be detrimental to their business. It's like no, if you let the rich get away with shit. Because they think they can get away with it, they'll just get away with all the bad shit. Fuck you. I mean, yeah. hon- what's going on in Honduras right now? That's like an Ayn Rand wet dream. Oh man, right? that's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, the demise of Sears. That you know, Sears was and Roebuck was a huge thing. You know, the whole West was populated with people ordering homes and and farm implements off of Sears and Roebucks, and then this Ayn Rand loving douche canoe became the CEO of, of, of Sears and he implemented Rand's philosophies throughout, really? um, Is throughout that Sears and Sears oh ate God. itself. They were so, Oh my God. It, I didn't know ate that. Itself. And what else? Another example of Rand fucking shit up That's with so their funny. philosophies. Um, Oh, rising drug prices from the, uh, from your, uh, your pharmaceutical companies. That's an old Rand thing. Um, who else? So Rand Paul was named after Ayn Rand? Yep. <laughs> no. You can't make this up. I don't make this up, man. <laughs> Fucking Ayn Rand, man. What a f- Did you see the um the talk show? Which one? Uh, it was Ayn Rand and what was the guy with the glasses and white hair in the eighties? I forgot his name. He was a very popular talk show host. He was like the before Oprah. Phil Donahue? I'll think of it in, in a minute. I can't believe I forgot. Donahue. Donahue and Ann Rand. That's that's a good one, Jason. You'd like that. Yeah, I'll pro- only if I really wanted to raise my blood pressure. <laughs> Which I don't need there, to do. Everybody's booing her on the Donahue show. Yeah, I... You know what she said in the Donahue show? She said, wouldn't it be awful if we had a woman president? Because um, how is she going to, like, run an army and stuff? I want a woman president. Fucking give us a woman president. Hell yes. All right. We don't need 
certainly don't need any more white men, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't usually talk about politics at all. No, no, it's it's good to avoid. But, uh, you know, and Rand. I I want to tell you one thing. Check this out, Jason. All right. Tell me what you think of this idea. I have, uh, you know, more than one email account. And the one I was using when I knew you 20 years ago. I saw a message that you um, sent about politics, and it was some politician. I can't remember the name, but you were you're making a comment, and it was on an email. So then I'm thinking about how long ago that was, and how you probably don't even think about whatever you're talking about now. And I thought, wow, politics are just stupid. Because like, how unimportant is like what you said 20, 15 years ago? Maybe it's still important. I could be wrong. It depends on what I said, I guess. Yeah. It was just, that was my <laughs> thought though. It was just my thought. But I I don't, I have a different, like I would rather not watch news if I had a choice. You know, I, I don't want to watch the news. It's fucking depressing. Yeah. Yeah, man. But I'd rather, um, I don't know, have a smile. <laughs> <laughs> smile and have and dream about what could be <laughs> but that's just me other yeah. people like to talk politics man but yeah well it's 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 this thing where when you get into certain things there's a lot of overlap there's a what they call intersectionality man okay right so literature we we we're mostly concerned about literature and books right right well when you have a certain type of writer who has a certain political bent and a certain political ideology they want to push, like Ayn Rand or, or yeah. Jerry Jenkins and Jim and Tim LaHaye, who wrote the uh, the Left Behind series, that Christian premillennial dispensationalist bullshit, they have a certain political or religious agenda, and they're going to go and step into the literary sphere to influence their readers to believe a certain way. And we as a human as humans, we are we are storytelling animals. This is the thing that sets us apart from all the other animals on the planet is this need and desire to tell stories. And not only that, mm. but we we transfer our, our cultural knowledge, our 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 cultural history, everything that we are through story. So we're constantly looking for meaning and purpose and guidance in our stories, even if we're not consciously aware of it. And you get these people out there that tell these dogmatic, weirdly political, violently religious, racist stories, and they get a lot of people to go, yeah, yeah. Story is where we practice being human. And when you have these people that influence people into being bad humans, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a problem. And, that's, and that gets us into politics and religion, all these things that we don't like, like to talk about. And I don't like to talk about him, but these people tell stories and people get out there and say, oh, Ayn Rand's my favorite writer. And I go, what kind of a cunt are you? (laughs) Because those same people that talk about Ayn Rand being their favorite writer also talk about how they're devoutly religious. And if you read read Ayn Rand's philosophy, she hates religion. So how can you be both devoutly religious (laughs) and a fan of Ayn Rand? What kind of cognitive dissonance is going on there and what kind of – what kind of bad things are you putting out in the world because you're trying to cope and balance, cope with and balance that cognitive dissonance, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, having been in therapy, you know what happens when you're having conflict in something. It tends to come out in bad, self-destructive <laughs> ways, right. right? 
<sighs> That's right. Damn. We need to. We need to. We we need to do something about uh, you know the 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 stories we put in our heads. Hmm. That's true. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah, right. Nobody. But then you're like, me. but then you're saying, "Hey, man, don't watch that devil worship story." <laughs> you can't say that to people because <laughs> sometimes those stories are really captivating. You're like, "Oh my freaking god, that was scary." True, true. But I don't what's, know. What's the intent? What's the purpose? What do you draw from it? What do you learn? Yeah, from the story. I mean, you can write a story about anything. What's what matters is the. Uh, you know, what comes out of the back end of it. If you, you know, if you have a, a story about devil worshipers and you, uh, you come out of that story, you know, being a little bit more compassionate for people, then yay, bonus. If you come out of that story thinking, oh no, we <laughs> need to sacrifice infants. Something went wrong, right? <laughs> yes, yes, something went wrong. Something went wrong. So true. Okay, so I'm going to ask you... Uh, it goes back to being smart, Jason. I suppose so, Evan. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I, I think there's smart people, and there's not smart people. I don't, you know. I wish I wasn't an adult. I wish I was. Uh, no shit. I agree. Okay. I wish I wasn't an adult anymore either. But you know, smart is good. If you're smart, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. You're ahead of the pack. Yeah, I mean, as as long as you don't mind, you know, compromised happiness. <laughs> ah. Right, because you can't yeah. be you can't be you can't be truly happy and be smart and aware, because then you realize yeah. that we're all going yeah. to die. All of this stuff is, of is that's going to be my new pickup line. We're all, we're going to die. We're going to die anyway. So why not go home with me? <laughs> exactly, that's my new pickup line. Okay, so before before we uh, we stop recording and just chat off the record here, I'm going to ask you the one question that I always like to ask. Uh-oh. Um writers that come on and talk to me one-on-one you know every every year the nea the national endowment for the arts comes out with their little uh, survey about reading and what people are reading and they're always talking about how literary reading is on the decline people mm-hmm. aren't reading poetry they aren't reading literary novels and then you'd go over and you take a look at book sales and all this other stuff and you find that we're actually doing a lot of reading it's a lot of short episodic you know genre fiction serialized type of reading but readers people are still reading yeah so as a writer as someone whose potential livelihood and 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 idea of self depends upon being read by other people what do we as as writers need to do to to grow and foster that ecosystem that would support us what do we need to do to draw in and what should we be what kind of engagement what kind of stuff do we should we be doing to support the ecosystem that then we're a part of first we should read right (laughs) there's um when i used to go to the brooklyn library when i was a kid and um they would say, riff, reading is fundamental. Right, right. You remember that? Yep. And uh, and they would give away free books at the library to kids through a program. It goes back to Ayn Rand. You, you infiltrate the serialized <laughs> fantasy world 
the fantasy and all the crap people are reading. Right. And you put your political and your your views in those books, that then all of a sudden all those people reading candy are reading uh, your views. Doesn't that make sense? It all goes back around to Ayn Rand. We should be as entertaining as, as the, the crap but writers we, out we'll there. We'll have a different message, of course. Right. Ayn Rand. But I, I, you know, like I watch Amazon mm-hmm. Prime a lot, and there's a lot of crappy movies on there. Oh, yeah. And, they go, and once you start watching crappy movies on Amazon, you realize everything's been done before. <laughs> so what, what does it take to get seen or read or watched? It takes being better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's Maybe. crazy because there's people, you know, whatever book you and I wrote, someone else is taking that and uh, – running with it and it's not fun to watch or read mm-hmm. but if we run with it because we went to grad school and we know how to write it'd be ten thousand times more fun to read and watch uh, really because so i mean a there weird, are a lot it's of a weird there are, idea but there are a lot of people out there that went to iowa that have all the prestige and, and i'm bored to fucking tears by their shit uh, i don't read iowa people but yeah. but that's but i was talking about amazon prime Right. <laughs> the, the graduate school of Amazon Prime. I was talking about that. But uh, YouTube and Amazon Prime are huge. Huge. Uh, in my life. I, you read Iowa writers? Iowa, you read well, those I, guys? I, I always go through the bookstore and I pick up what's on the new release shelf and give, it a, and give the, uh, the first few pages and the author by yeah. a, a peruse. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm always looking to see what's, uh, what's out there, what's new, what's interesting, you know? And always looking for recommendations. And I swear, every time I pick up a book and the first page, I'm like going, you're just kind of did a, an interesting twist on, on the Gatsby intro. <laughs> right. And if I, and then if I, if I, if I, if I see a bunch of like, Oh, that's been done before that move has been done before. Yes. Your characters are different. Your time is different. Your period, your story is different, but you can, you can see the structure of of the the narrative structure of what they're doing, how they're presenting material and information, you take a look at it, and I go, that looks really familiar. And I flip to the back, and oh, it's a Iowa graduate, or it's a Columbia graduate, <laughs> or it was University of Montana. And it's like, really, motherfucker? I mean, this got published. This got published because you're somewhat competent mm-hmm. as a writer, but you knew all of the right people. Your professor yeah, had a thing uh-huh. for you and recommended yeah. you to hear, and they got published, whatever. And now, and and it's like, you know, this is everybody sometimes accuses me of having, you know, this big conspiracy theory. Well, you can have a conspiracy by accident, right? It doesn't mean you have a bunch of people get into a room and go, oh, we're going to fuck everybody else by just picking writers from these schools. No, it's because you have a certain number of schools that turn out a certain number of graduates, and and not all of those graduates become writers. A lot of them mm-hmm. become editors. And because they've been through the same program as a bunch of people who did become writers, there's a certain unintentional aesthetic that gets applied. I agree. And that's why we get rejected. Because we don't fit. A lot mm-hmm. of people get rejected, not because they're bad writers or whatever. It's because the certain people that are in positions of power. And, of course, as we conglomerate and condense and, and compact and we've gone, we now have the big five publishers, right? And then a bunch of small presses. And that narrows down the aesthetic range of the gatekeepers, 
because you have fewer editors, fewer agents trying to sell to those editors. And they all have, and they've all tend to come from the same background. That's some from the same area. They all, you know, have the same kind of education. And so they have the same basic aesthetic and that eliminates and causes problems with getting new things out in the world mm-hmm. that don't match the established aesthetic. Oh, you know what you should do? Just what you should do. I, I just figured this one out. Yep. You can make friends with all these editors on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you start posting your writing, they'll see it. Yeah, but you've got to try I didn't and know that was viable, but it is. Because yep. if someone actually befriends you, they will see your post. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I did that with, um, you know, uh, Keegan Peel, the guy who made oh, all those yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. Jordan Peel. Uh-huh. His uh, production studio is called Monkey Paw. Yeah. So if you go to the website, you can see the staff. So I tried to, like, friend them on Facebook, the ones that are available. Mm-hmm. But it, you could do that for all these people in power you're talking about. So that's that's the fun thing about life today. It's different than when we were in grad school. So there's this like social media, sit at home online and make friends instead of going out and <laughs> making friends. And you know, you either get used to it or you don't. But yeah. So is that the uh, the key then to uh, to enlivening the uh, the literary landscape? Is uh, I mean, if you're going to post friendships, if you're going to post your creative stuff. Mm-hmm. Someone will see it if you befriend all the right people, the powerful people. <laughs> the powerful right? people, yeah, yeah. And then, then you know, it's just a, it's just a, something to think about. Because otherwise, make you know, it happen. Talk- yes, yeah, right. Make it happen. <laughs> you could, uh, you can call them on the phone and bother them. <laughs> yeah, I think that would get you blacklisted real fast. Hey, what's happening? We were just talking about you on the podcast. What's up, homie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. You want to see my writing? No. Make it into a Twilight Zone How did you get this number? (laughs) Yeah. The internet, baby. Internet, baby. (laughs) Um, I think that was a cooler thought I had. (laughs) All right. For marketing purposes, but... um, (laughs) But yeah, it's just um, it's just a trip, really. Yeah, I don't. It's a trip, isn't it supposed to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timothy Leary. I guess <laughs> you're drinking wine. So it's a trip, baby. A little bit of day drinking when I talk to. There. <laughs> right. Good conversation, Evan. Thanks for uh, for finally doing this with me. Yeah, man. I think you should have like uh, more than one person on, like threesomes and fivesomes. Well, we've tried it. I've tried it with the uh, with the series. You know, um, when we did, when Jen and I did the uh, the problematic toxic masculinity trope stuff, you'll hear some of the you other. You had more than one person on there. Yeah, yeah. More Give them a listen. Yeah, we just uh, dropped episode three last week, so the next uh, four will be coming out over the next uh, month or so. I am like the epitome of toxic tropes. I walk around. And show off my toxicity immediately, so nobody knows. So everybody knows right away what I'm about. (laughs) It's not a secret. (laughs) It's like, hey, this is what I'm about, Dave. You know, I have so many stories of uh, being silly around women. It's just every day. It's so funny because I was a late bloomer because I went to all boys high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too bad. You're not toxic, Evan. (laughs) 
Good grief. I know I'm not, but it's just, uh, it's funny. It's a funny, uh, it's a funny topic, a trope. Yeah. Well, don't go anywhere. I'm going to, I'm going to stop the button. Say goodbye to everybody. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, we're going to be on a hiatus for a little while as we uh, get uh, new live shows and a new series for the fall squared away. And we may or may not have another uh, special interview episode uh, later this year. Who knows? Things are in the works. I'm taking a little bit of a break to, to finish a book. So this uh, this show, of course, was uh, recorded by me badly and cleaned up and made sound professional by Heather Ann Eden. The Intro and outro music is by Stephen McClurg, a longtime companion and host with the show. So uh, go and check out his stuff as well. And thanks for listening. We'll see you at least again in the fall and maybe in the summer. So 